Last week, we kind of saw the way that, that Paul showed us, um, kind of reviewed what he had said. I said last week, we kind of took a 25,000-foot flyover over the first uh, two chapters of Ephesians and kind of reviewed them a little bit. This week, we're going to kind of dig into these verses for themselves. Uh, so you're in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. We read it out of the ESV here. If you have a phone or a tablet, you can switch to that. It'll make it a little bit easier for you. If not, if you have, a, if you have an old school Bible, you'll be okay, I promise. It'll be all right. Just, just bear with us. Um, kind of had an interesting experience yesterday. Uh, my wife, Ty, and I, <clears throat> we have three kids. Adoniah, she's 11. Uh, Malachi, our man-child, who is seven. And Valencia, the princess, who is three. And Malachi had his first uh, competitive sports game. He's in soccer. So he had his first, he had his first game. Um, it was a sweeping victory of 11 to 1 for the other team. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I say this, and I'll say it emphatically, uh, what my son might lack in experience and skill, he makes up for for being the coolest kid on the team. So it's all right with me. But it was, it was kind of interesting to watch and to, to kind of see. Because, you know, at that age, uh, it reminded me, uh, you know, growing up, my dad was really into sports. I know it probably shocks you to look at me, but I'm not. I'm an amazing athlete. Uh, people ask me all the time, they come up to me, especially in this state, it's really odd. They come up like, oh, you're tall. Do you play basketball? Like that's the only skill required <laughs> in basketball, just to be tall. I want to look at, especially the short ones go, you're tiny. Do you ride a horse? Um, it's like, it's not the only requirement to, uh, to fulfill the skill level. Um, but my dad was really into having us boys play sports. So every year, uh, his big thing was baseball. And so every year I would get talked into for several weeks. I would say, you know, my parents would ask, do you want to play baseball? I'm like, no. And then he would convince me that I really did want to play. So I would always go out. We played in leagues. Uh, I wasn't in a league like my son's league. My son's is predominantly just kind of to have fun and to learn the fundamentals. My dad signed us up for like, you know, where, where the, like, the people that were trying to groom their kids in first grade to get a scholarship in baseball. And I was not exact. I had trouble chewing gum and walking at the same time at this point in my life. And so I would go out and we had tryouts. That's how competitive this was. First, second, third grade, we had tryouts. You had to go out and you know, big, big bunch of kids out in the baseball field. And they'd hit balls at you, which I just didn't understand why my parents were paying to have other adults throw things at me. It confused me. And I would go out and it never failed. I think I played probably three, between three to five years. I've repressed most of it. But uh, it never failed that I would kind of be the leftover team. What I mean by that is that they would have like a set amount of coaches, let's say like 10 or 12 coaches that were really good, solid coaches. These were guys that got paid to coach little kids uh, baseball, and they were really, really good, and they were really solid, and then, you know, they would kind of make their teams, and I'm not sure whether they didn't have room for us or whether the, the coach was just like, that kid's not, no, I won't take him. And there was always about a dozen of us consistently every year that would end up in the same team. And the funny thing is that, that we would end up in this team there would be, you know, 10 to 11 of us just misfit kids, kids like me that, like, had massive ADHD. And so if, if, if they didn't mow the ground, the grass low enough, and there was any kind of flowers and bugs were around, I was gone for the whole game. Because we all know in, in elementary school baseball, if you're in the outfield, it's not because you have any skill. It's because they have to let you play for a set amount of time. It's like, let's go in the outfield, you know. You'll be fine, and it'll eat some orange slices out there. Balls never get hit there anyways. Uh, so that's kind of where I would live. and. And there would be kind of the rest of the team would all be like that, except for one kid. There was always one kid on our team who was like Babe Ruth reincarnated. 
He could hit, he was in first grade and he would just step, he was like a foot taller than all of us, had a huge neck, most of the time he had to shave, and he would just hit home runs consistently, like throughout the whole, you know, season. And what I figured out as I got older is uh, his dad, and it was a different kid every year, because I lived in Houston, Texas at this point, so, you know, it was different kids every year. His dad was always the coach. There was always this kid, some random incarnation of this kid, but it was always the same thing, highly skilled baseball player on the team with a bunch of us losers. Um, It's okay, I was one of them, so I can say that. Uh, With a bunch of us losers on the team, and he was amazing. And what I realized was, as I got older, they would trick his dad. He was an amazing baseball player, and they'd go, you know, your son's so great, your son's so awesome. We'd really like you to take the team that he's on and really just coach it. That way he gets a lot of playing time, and the dad would be all excited and then show up to practice and realize, I got stuck with this team. So we, you probably are shocked by this, but we lost every game. I, I do not remember winning a single game in the history of my baseball career. This is even more shamed because my youngest brother was like a master baseball player. He was amazing. He was phenomenal, uh, could pitch it like, you know, in kindergarten, could strike people out. It was incredible. And so I was always like compared to, you know, I would show up to practice and they'd be like, oh, you're Josh Blair's big brother. All right, we'll put you pitching. And then they realized in first grade, I couldn't get the ball from the pitching mound to the plate, let alone like, over it. So I, I would always be a, a massive disappointment. And we would always kind of lean on this one guy on our team thinking like, well, if we can just, can he substitute bat for me and everybody else on the team? Like just all of us, can he just get up and do it? And of course that's against the rules. It doesn't work because team is all about what? Team, right? It's about the whole team. One amazing guy is not going to make up for the fact that the rest of us couldn't figure out which end of the bat to hold. Okay, I'm not kidding. <laughs> and so it, it just doesn't work that way. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to be looking at Ephesians. And we're going to be looking at the mystery of the church, what's really going on in the church. And I want us to kind of have an understanding of this, that the church is like a team in the sense that it's not about one or two superstar people that can just kind of make up for everything else. We're going to see this extensively as we continue into chapter four. Paul's going to really unpack this for us uh, that, that you guys do not exist to kind of build a platform for the people that stand up there and kind of watch them, but rather the truth be told that those uh, called to lead in the church are here to build your life so that it can be a platform for the gospel. Not You're not here to build a platform for me to stand up here and preach. Come on, somebody. But rather my job as a pastor is to help build your life so that it can be a platform for Jesus to stand on and proclaim the gospel. Amen? So let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1 or rather chapter 3, verse 1. It says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Notice he says, it was grace that gave me this gift. It was God's working that did it for me. Verse uh, 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable 
riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, everybody highlight, underline, circle if you do that in your Bibles. If not, just reach over to the person next to you, do it in theirs. That word church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's living and active. We thank you that it's not dead and passive. And we thank you that your word does not sit afar off on a shelf collecting dust because it's outdated and unreliable and and unnecessary. But God, we thank you that your word is alive, that it's real, that it's living, that it's here today speaking to us. God, that you are here today taking the words written on this page, breathing life into them and proclaiming them into our hearts. And God, through the Through the course of this morning, as many words are spoken, God, we ask that your word would be the underlying pulse and heartbeat of everything said, that our hearts would be open to hearing your word as it is spoken. Our feet would be actively waiting, prepared to walk out your word, being obedient to what we hear. Don't let us just hear it and leave thinking that we've done our duty in hearing your word, but let us be doers of your word. Let us walk out the doors differently than when we came in because we apply your word. We do your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So did you catch the star player in the church in this verse here? It's Paul. I don't know if you've hung out with Paul as much as I have. He, he's, he's an amazing amazing, amazing person to really study his life. If you want to get into his life and see him uh, in, in detail, uh, the book of Acts is, is just an amazing uh, opportunity we have to see a first century minister just ministering the power and authority of God. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, you may or may not realize this. I know I didn't, even as a young Christian, and even as, as, I, as I grew in the word, I didn't really quite grasp the significance of the life of Paul. Paul, if we want to speak in human terms, has influenced the world more than any other person that has ever lived. Paul's writings are are really what we build the church off of. We talk about being a Christian. We talk about being Christ-like. We talk about about being like Jesus. And please hear me, that's it. And again, I'll say it every single week, as long as I'm up here, it's all about Jesus, okay? We're not taking away from that. Paul is not God, but God used Paul in a powerful and magnificent and very unique way. God used him to write the majority of the New Testament. Uh, Much of our theology and thinking and and doctrine is based off the things that God revealed to Paul to write into the scriptures to share with us. Uh, Paul's life has shaped culture significantly even in our day. I would say this. I think Paul is probably... um, one of the most significant human beings in history in the sense of his, his mental, physical, and spiritual capacity. Mentally, this guy was amazing. He, he was a Pharisee. Now, that doesn't really mean a lot to us in our, our day and age. Uh, Pharisees were, were some of the, the higher level kind of bigwigs in the Jewish culture in his day. To be a Pharisee, please hear me on this. This is amazing to me. Paul would have had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I don't know if you ever tried to read Leviticus. 
it's not always that much fun. Um, did the pastor just say reading the Bible wasn't fun? Yeah, read it. It's, it's interesting. Um, he had it memorized. Now, I, I've always known that, or I heard a long time ago, I should say, that he had it memorized. What I didn't realize was that they didn't have to just memorize it word for word. Paul would have been required to memorize it letter for letter, meaning that he couldn't just recite it. He could write the thing out and not make a spelling error. I can't fill out a check without making a spelling error most days. Uh, and Paul could write the entire uh, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He was taught by a guy named Gamaliel, which is, historically speaking, uh, considered one of the greatest uh, Jewish thinkers of all time. And Paul was his best student. Paul was a smart guy. On top of that, on top of his just intellect, he, he shares with us here in this uh, passage that God then gave him great revelation, gave him great understanding. And Paul had this amazing ability to to let the revelation and wisdom of God control his intellect instead of the other way around. That's a whole nother message, so I'm not going to go there. But uh, Paul was amazing mentally. Uh, physically, the guy walked everywhere, worked, worked a full-time job. He, he didn't want to, because of the, the ministry that he had as a, as a missionary, he didn't want to be a burden on the people that he was trying to win over to Jesus. It's kind of hard to say like, hey, you should come to Jesus and can I have some money? Just wasn't kind of Paul's hope in his uh, ministry. So he didn't do that. So he decided to get a job. Now, if it was me and I knew I was going to be uh, being working full time in, in the kind of ministry he was, he walked everywhere. He, dude, physically, we want to talk about physical. The guy got beaten up on a regular basis. Um, the guy uh, got stoned uh, several times. Now, for those of you who are, are thinking that wrongly, he got stoned the old way. See, we've just legalized a new way to do it. He did it an old way where they threw rocks at your head. Um, so not, not quite the same experience as what some of us used to do. Um, sorry. Uh, Paul got beat up. Got, so if, I, if that was kind of my existence, I think I would like, and I was that intellectual, if I was Paul Beck, I think I'm going to be a professor. That'll be my part-time job, full-time job on the side while I'm doing ministry. No, Paul decided to be a tent maker. Literally, he made tents. He, he, he built tents out of leather hides. So the dude worked with giant hides of leather, punched holes in them with sharp sticks, and made people tents. So that was his full time. Physically, this guy was amazing. Mentally, he was amazing. Physically, spiritually, he tells us that he prays without ceasing. That even in the midst of hardship and knowing when God speaks to him and says, you're going to go in this city, I want you to preach in this city, and oh, by the way, everyone's going to beat you up, nobody's going to like you, everyone's going to hate you, you probably should just go eat worms. He still was like, cool, I'll do it. So that, that's, that's an internal spiritual resolve that I think is worth kind of going, oh, that's, that's something. And yet Paul here, with all of his abilities, with all of his giftings, with all of his, his superstar kind of uh, status and standing and capability, we read through this and he says, everything I do, I do because it's all about Jesus and it's all about you guys. What I'm doing, I'm laying down my life. He, he puts his gifting, his, his abilities, his, his uh, uh, incredible influence he places it directly and solely in the context of the local church. That's pretty profound to me. So what I want to do is kind of look at Paul's life here and see what we can learn in the context of this thing called church. Uh, the first thing I want us to see is this. God's grace gives gifts. Preacher moment here. That's pretty awesome. Just, I mean, come on. They all start with the same letter. They're all one syllable. Come on. Just want to make sure you know I'm a professional. I do this for a living. Um, God's grace gives gifts. Here's the really sad thing. I wrote that and then realized that. So I don't know whether that means it was just an accident or I've gotten so used to communicating and preaching that I just do it now on accident. Um, but God's grace gives gifts. What do I mean by that? We're really kind of probably, if you've hung around church very much or 
uh, been to a Billy Graham crusade, you've probably kind of got somewhat of an understanding that we are saved by grace. We're all sinners by nature and by choice, meaning that we, we do things we know we ought not to do and we don't do things we know we should do. We sin by omission and commission. Uh, it is our very nature in our fallen state to sin. And we can't do enough to make up for that. We're separated from God. The chasm is far too wide. There's no way we can get over. Uh, but Jesus steps in, dies a substitutionary death for our sin, makes up for our lack, and saves us by what we call, and the scriptures call, grace. Unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Jesus just says, I'm, I'm going to give it to you anyways. And his grace saves us. But what Ephesians 1 7 and 8 tell us that is that he lavishes that grace upon us, meaning that he gives us more than is necessary to save us. Now, we've talked about this, and I'm not going to spend too much time here. One of the reasons he lavishes it upon us is because grace not only saves you, we hear that a lot, but grace also sanctifies you. Sanctifies is a big church word that just means matures. Helps you be and act what you really are. You, you are redeemed, you are saved, you are brought into the family of God. His grace then sanctifies you, which makes you act like, live like, walk like, talk like, think like the Son of God that you are by grace. It's the same thing. I've said this a ton over the years. You cannot separate the grace of God that forgives you from sin from the grace of God that frees you from sin. I would say if you're, if you're, tri- if you're here and you struggle in an area over and over again in sin, it's, it's not because you're not trying hard enough. It's because you do not have a grasp of the grace of God that forgave you from that sin, so therefore you think you're still bound by it. And the scriptures tell us that, you're, that that grace was lavished upon us, gave us more than was necessary to save us, so that we might be sanctified by that same grace. It's not that we start in grace and then, and then enter into works, but rather we're saved by grace and we're sanctified by grace. But also... That grace is lavished upon us, is given to us abundantly because it manifests itself in gifts and abilities that we're called to use to serve Jesus. It's a good place to say amen. And in the redemptive process in your life, that grace is at work to save you, that grace is at work to sanctify you, and that grace is at work to manifest itself in gifts. Manifest just means shows. uh, Gifts and abilities that you probably prior didn't have. Now, this, this, we need to understand that God, God gives us gifts by grace. They're not things you have to work for. This isn't uh, you know, angry birds where if you beat level six, you get your bird upgraded, right? This isn't like somehow once you kind of read your Bible enough, you'll learn how to do something. It, that's not the way it works. It's purely by grace. God says, I, I, I saved you that my, I might be glorified. I'm sanctifying you that I might be glorified. And now I'm going to give you even more grace that you might have gifts and abilities and talents to use to serve me that I might be glorified. Because again, it's all about Jesus. Even in our salvation, it's all about Jesus. I'm going to keep saying this until we believe it. Even in our salvation, it's all about Jesus. Everything is about him. So we got to understand that that leftover grace manifests itself in gifts and abilities. Now, this next piece is where we're going to spend most of our time. So we, we're we. We have gifts to serve Jesus, amen? That's what the gifts are for. But here's what we've got to understand, and this is what Paul tries to unpack for us, that we serve Jesus by serving the church. I'm going to say that again. We serve Jesus by serving the church. A lot of angles we could go at this in, but I want to kind of stick with the passage that we're in here. So we need to understand, as Paul's talking about, he was called by Jesus to serve Jesus, but then everything he talks about what he does, he talks about, 
the church. Now, we can understand that the church is the body of Christ, and we can kind of take it from that, and we'll get there uh, as we continue to study through, <clears throat> through the Bible. But what Paul here is saying is he's trying to get us to understand something. And this is what I think he's trying to get us to do. Two kind of seemingly opposing points that we're going to talk on. And I'm just going to guess here, one of these you're not going to like. We'll just kind of get to see which one. Uh, the first is this. The church is people. I'm going to say that again. The church is people. This whole idea uh, that, well, hey, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't really go to church. I don't really, you know, because I don't really, it's not a big deal. Well, look, the church is people. It's not this building. This is a great building. We love it. We're having a blast being in here. Um, it's not this building, though. It's also not the service. It's not you sitting in that chair listening to me preach. It's not you singing. It's not a singing song together. It is you. You is the church. Perfect grammar. You is the church. The church is you. You are a part of the church. It's about the people. Okay, we've got to understand this. When we talk about serving Jesus by serving the church, we've got to get that what we're talking about is people. Okay, I'm so sick and tired of this mindset that the church is about the services or the church is about this or the church is about that. And we, we miss the whole point that it's people. We've said this a lot. God is the, the supremely unchallengeably, or if that's a word, most important thing in all of existence. Can we say amen to that real fast to make sure I'm in the right church? Jesus, God, that's what it's all about. But there's a tension statement to that. People are the most important thing to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We've got to get this. We, we, can't, we can't have this disconnect. I, I meet a lot, if I can be honest, especially college students right now. There's this big movement inside of, of kind of the young adult, high school, college age where... Oh, I'm, I'm going to just serve Jesus. And I've got friends that are doing this. If they're listening to podcasts, I love you guys. Don't email me. Um, but they do this thing where it's like, yeah, I'm going to go and uh, I'm going to go work in this thing. And, and would you support me? I need full-time support. Um, I'm, I'm going to do this ministry thing. And I go, oh, that's awesome. What are you going to do? I'm going to live in a room and I'm going to pray all the time and just minister to Jesus. Okay. You could do that while you're flipping burgers, dude. Uh, like I, I just, I struggle with it, if I'm going to be honest with you. Because it's disconnected from people. Well, no, I'm just called to pray all the time. Jesus died for people. Come on. I mean, it's about people. Why did we go through all the work, energy, effort, money to do the Easter service that we did? Because we wanted to show people that Jesus loves them that he's after them, that he's chasing them, that he's more interested in overcoming them than they're probably interested in letting him. We've got to to get to this. We need to understand that the church is people. Okay? I was pretty sure that wasn't going to offend anybody. So, uh uh-oh. The church, okay, so let's let's put it this way. The, The true church is people. Or the church is truly the people. You can say it that way if you want to correct my grammar later. Here's the other thing. The true church, the biblical church, the church we need to understand our place in, has structure. Now, we we will, yeah, church is people, man. It's just all about the people, and I love the people, and I like hanging out with the people. And then you you come along and you say, well, there's leadership structure. There's things you need to go through. There's things you need to understand about the way that we structure and organize. And Hey, man, look, I'm I'm just all about the people, dude. Not really into that whole religion thing. Well, it's not religion. It's in the Bible. People that I have actually had a long conversation with, I just think that in the modern time, you know, with the way 
we've kind of evolved to this kind of place where we don't really need the structure anymore, then God wasted pages in this because there's whole books in here telling us how we ought to structure the church. We're going to see this real bluntly in the next chapter where Paul lays out emphatically the way the church ought to be structured and the five pillars that hold the church up. I'm excited to get to that. But we've got to understand this. We need to understand this for several reasons. I remember uh, years ago, my wife and I were uh, in, in kind of newly married and we were kind of involved in a lot of college ministry. I'm going to be honest with you. We, we had some, uh, some gatherings in that college ministry that I mean, we'd pack out houses and we'd have to do more and we'd have to do night after night of, of just meeting together and worshiping and studying the scriptures together. We'd, we'd pack out rooms uh, with college students just worshiping and loving Jesus. And, and at, at points we had, you know, lots and lots and lots of people and no structure. So guess what happened? One week, there'd be tons of people. The next week, nothing. Sometimes for, for weeks on end, we'd have lots and then nothing. And, and you know what the funny thing is? Looking now, I, I try to get in touch with some of these people that God was moving so powerfully on their hearts in worship. And lots of them aren't even walking with the Lord anymore. They had great experience. They had a great uh, significant uh, encounter with God per se, but there was no structure, please hear me, to sustain that growth. There was no, there was no, there was no framework to build on in their life. And so they weren't able to sustain it. See, it's not just about numbers. It's about structure. The church is people. Now, please hear me. I don't want to miss over this. The church is, I use that word on purpose, is the people. The church has structure. If we shift those, stuff gets weird real fast. If we say the church is the structure and has the people, then the people exist to keep the structure up. That's not the truth, okay? That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the church is the people and the structure is there to build the people up. Amen? We've got to understand this. We have to get this dynamic. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to wrestle with this if we need to and kind of settle in our heart that, you know what? There's structure, there's leadership, there's fundamentals, there's doctrine, there's, there's, there's important things, there's things that are in the church on purpose that I can build my life on so that when the winds come, when the storms come, my life doesn't just fall over. Because if you're young in here, storms are going to come. I don't have to be a prophet to say that, okay? It's just life. You're alive. You're breathing. Stuff's going to happen. There needs to be structure to build our lives on. It's not just about numbers. It's not just about having a large herd of people. It's about building a structure. It's about understanding those things. The church is people. It has structure. The church, then we've got to understand this, that God's purposes are fulfilled through the church. Okay, God's purposes are fulfilled through the church. I, I do not believe, I, I don't believe a political party is going to solve our problems. I don't believe uh, a bill is going to solve our problems. I don't believe some random charismatic person can solve our problems. I believe that the hope of the world is the local church, period. Because it's in the local church that we can, we can build people's lives, that they can sustain consistent and, and, and progressive growth in Christ and understand that sanctifying process in in their life. It is the local church that that happens in. I am passionately, emphatically uh, given to the local church as the hope of the world. If you are not plugged into a local church, get plugged into a local church. Be faithful there. Serve the vision there. If you don't have one, I think you should choose this one, but I'm slightly partial, so I'll let you decide. But I'm not going to say don't plug into a local church. You need it. Well, I just kind of like a lot of different. No. Find a church, plug into it. Well, it's just about the people, so I can just bounce around. It's also about the structure, and his purposes are fulfilled through both. 
So you need to find a church, plug into a church, be faithful to a church, and be there. Amen? Third thing I want us to understand, this is a big, long sentence about the church. Throw it up there so people can see it. The church exists. Okay, before I start this sentence, this is not an exhaustive definition because I know somebody's going to be like, well, I don't think that's the only thing. Okay, I get it. Okay, we're, we're, we're studying what we just read. So I want us to understand what we just read when he talks about the church. Okay, so disclaimer. That was more for the podcasters than you guys, just so you know. The church exists for the glorification of Jesus through the salvation of souls by means of the preaching of the gospel. Say that again. Church exists for the glorification of Jesus through the salvation of souls by, the, by means of the preaching of the gospel. Let's take that backwards. Um, it's about the gospel being preached. Okay? It, is not about, it is not about programs and, and, and services and things. It's about people hearing gospel preaching, letting the Holy Spirit open up their heart that they might receive the faith and the grace to save their souls that their lives might be transformed. Okay? It's about the preaching of the gospel. It's about the preaching of the gospel. It is about that. that. If we think, well, you know, I kind of, you know, if, if you're looking for a church to plug into, free advice, find one that's preaching the gospel. Okay? It, not one that tells it. I'm, I'm, I'm not, please hear me. I don't want to be divisive. That's the last thing I want to be as a, as a preacher in this community. I want to preach the gospel. But I get nervous when churches, when there's, because I'm going to be honest, there's a, there's a pressure in me. I'll just talk about myself for a second. There's a, there's a pressure in me to kind of think, well, maybe we need to do sermons like 14 Steps to Have a Healthy Marriage. And I, I, I rub up against that wrong because here, I don't think it's a matter of 14 Steps to Have a Healthy Marriage. I think what we need to do is say, this is the gospel. How does that affect my marriage? How does that affect my, me as an employee? How does that affect me as a friend, as a brother, as a sister, as a mom, as a dad, as a cousin, as a 14 aunt? six times removed, Uh, whatever it is, how does the gospel affect the way I process the experience that I have in my life? What does it mean for me now as a gospel-oriented person to interact in the situations I'm in? But we can't get away from the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about clever things to try. No, it's gospel. What's the gospel say about this? It's all about the gospel. It's, It's about preaching the gospel. So the gospel is preached. It's about the gospel being preached. It's about people being saved and sanctified. Okay, so, so we say it's, it's, it, the church exists, preaching the gospel for salvation. Now, please hear me. I get that we don't save people. Did you hear me? We, we don't save people. Coming to church doesn't mean you're saved. Not at all, okay? Coming to church does not mean you're saved any more than sitting in your garage means you're a car. It's not about that. I'm not sitting here saying, well, the church exists, and if you just come here, you're saved. But there, is, there needs to be an understanding. The flip side of this is that there needs to be an understanding that when we are saved, the primary instrument of God's sanctifying grace in our lives comes from being around other believers consistently and constantly in a local church. The number one vessel that God will use to bring grace into your life is other believers. And what the problem is, we, we do this, and I've seen this over and over and over again. I've been in ministry now for 12 years. I've seen this more times than I can think. Take a seed. It's your life, and they plant it in a church for a while. And they stick it in there until somebody says something they don't like, until the song isn't the song that they like, until the preacher says something they don't like, or he uses grammar incorrectly. And then they pull themselves out of the ground, and they go plant themselves somewhere else until something happens there. They don't like the kids' ministry because it, doesn't have enough jumping up and down. So they pull them, their, themselves, their families out of there, and they run over here, and they plug themselves in over here. 10, 20, 15, 30 years go by, and they wonder why they're not growing. 
because they never let themselves be planted. It's that sanctifying, saving, working grace in our lives that happens when we're plugged in, planted, and in a local church. So it's preaching the gospel. People are saved and sanctified so that Jesus is glorified. Again, it's all about Jesus. We say it together, it's all about Jesus. Jesus, okay? It's all about him. As soon as we start making it about other stuff, stuff gets real weird in the church real fast. <laughs> so let's end this thing. Let's land this thing. I want to I give us some practical steps here real, real fast, and then we'll go back into worship. Uh, first thing is this. When, when we understand the church, then we understand, okay, so you're, I'm gifted so that I can serve Jesus through serving the church, that Jesus might be glorified through the preaching of the gospel and the saving of souls, right? Kind of all jiving there together. So it wasn't a complicated one. Wanted to walk slowly through it so we can get to this. So now the kind of thing we kind of stand here and go, okay, now, now what? Okay, here's where I want to start. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Again, we've got to understand that if we're going to use the baseball team metaphor here, um, you've got to find your place. You've, you've got that gifting. You've got that ability. Say, well, I'm not, I'm not a superstar. That's, that's okay. Just do what you can with what you have where you are. And I don't just mean that in the context of, of the church as we think about it like these walls. I mean in the context of relationship and serving in life. God has gifted some people really weird. Um, Marissa Levitt, she's, she's watching some of your kids right now in Sozo Kids. She's teaching them and training them. She's amazing. Her and her husband are phenomenal. They're outstanding people. Some of my favorite people on the planet. She's weird. She likes numbers. Like she likes them. No, seriously, like she likes to work with like data entry. She has a job where she works working with people's bills, like big, huge companies, like power bills, looking over tiny numbers and finding ways to save little pennies here and there so that the companies can save lots of money. I would rather get all my teeth pulled every day than do that job. I'd pull them, put them back in, and I'll come back tomorrow, and you could do it again rather than do that job. The other day, we're at our house and we're trying to track numbers with the church's growth and visitors and making sure we're doing follow-up correctly and loving on the people that God's brought to us. And, and so they find a, a software, my wife and her find this software, and she spends like three hours inputting numbers. And the whole time, she's smiling. She's talking about it, and I want to punch myself in the face. Like, she's doing what she can with what she has where she is. That's her gift. That's her ability. And she's just going to use it. She doesn't go, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a, what well, I don't sing. I don't lead worship. So I just can't serve. She's doing what she has where she is. She's doing what she can. It's about doing that. It's about finding that. You need to realize that those, those things in you are God given for the purpose of serving him through serving the church. Maybe for you, you love baking and you're wondering what the heck is that all about? Maybe it's just about baking and baking things, taking to people, praying and asking Jesus, what, 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 who needs, who needs to be shown love this week? Just drop them off by their house. You don't need to stay. You say, oh, I'm, not, I'm awkward to people. You don't have to stay. Trust me, if you came to my house and gave me baked goods and you wanted to leave, kind of be okay with that. Um, as long as you leave the food. You know I mean? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? It's not about trying to do more than that. Just do what you can with what you have where you are. Don't try to, oh, please hear me. Don't try to fake like you're somewhere else. Nothing is worse than the guy that goes out for American Idol that can't sing, right? Too much happened to that in the church. Like, oh, I'll, 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 you know, I'll help with the kids. And you hate kids. And you just think, well, maybe if I just go in there, it'll be okay. Don't do that. Like, I, I, I like guitar. I'll go out for the worship team. I can't play. Never owned one, but I'll try. Don't do that. It's, 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 it's painful for us and embarrassing for you. Just 
Find where what you have. Now, if you don't know what you have, your job, your fun, excitement, exciting adventure right now is getting to discover what the heck God gave you. That's a fun and exciting journey. Do what you can to what you have where you are. Um, and then this is, this is where the, the I want to read this again. This is where the passage ends, and I need us to end there. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, that's God, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. If you're going to embark upon a life of being a part of the church, embracing the mystery of the church, that somehow the mystery of the church is that somehow the, the outcome is vastly greater than the sum total of our parts. How, how a church of 50 people was able to put on an Easter service for 500 people and an Easter egg hunt for probably close to 1,000, I have no clue. Because the sum total of what we were able to accomplish was greater than adding up our parts. Okay, that's the mystery. If you're going to embrace that, Paul here is giving us a, a vitally important piece. And that is that you got to boldly press into your relationship with God. Because it's grace that enables us to serve. Not gritting our teeth and bearing it and just pushing through. Listen to me, there are people here, and I'm just going to plug this real fast, and then I'm going to go back up there. We're going to worship. There are people that are serving here and have been serving here every Sunday faithfully for going on two years now. There, literally, there are people here who have not had a Sunday off in the two years that we've existed having services and, and things and holding meetings. And I can tell you this, and they'll, they'll tell you this. I won't point them out because they would punch me later. They don't, they're able to do that not because they just are so vastly, greatly disciplined and better than you. They're able to do it because they press in in their relationship with God and find the grace to continue to do it. That's not an excuse for us not to step in and help them. Love you. Um, but it does uncover something. If you say, I just don't feel like I have any grace, the, the problem probably is that you're not pressing in your relationship like you need to. If you're going to serve hard, put it this way, you need to soak hard. You need to soak in his presence. Learn and develop the disciplines of just resting in him. God is glorified through us resting, not us working really hard. We rest in him. We trust him. We do what he says. It's the way this works. Stand to our feet. We're going to worship. That's what I'd like to do. I'd like to challenge us in this moment. We're going we're to enter back into worship. As a church, we kind of reserve some time at the end of our service to press back into him. I think it's odd when, as a church, we worship Jesus and engage in his presence and then hear a message and leave. I think we need to respond. Um, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that the, the life of the believer is a life of repentance. I think, I think there needs to be a response when we hear the word. And so we're going to give ourselves some time. And I'd like to direct that response, if I could, a little bit for you and help you with this. What do I do in this moment now? I think we need to come to Jesus and ask him, have you given me grace in areas I'm not using? Do I have gifts, abilities? Not do I, because that's the wrong thinking. What are my gifts and abilities that I'm called to use in serving you through serving the church? Needs to happen. He'll speak that to you. He, he wants to show that to you more than you probably want to hear it. And then I want to just encourage us to do what I said, just said we need to do. Just soak in his presence. Just get a recharge of grace. If you're here and you're feeling worn out, tired, broken, busted, disgusted, Let's get some recharge happening right now. That's part of what a normal Sunday service ought to be, is a recharging of the batteries, a recharging of our, a replugging into him that we might be filled up. Now, we also would encourage you to do this a couple ways. 
praying where you are. It's pressing into him. You don't need a priest or a prophet to come to you. You have Jesus. And as we've already learned this, this week, it's all about Jesus. We would encourage you to press in there. The other thing we've chosen as a community to do is partake of communion every time we gather together. We believe that this is a powerful instrument that God uses to help us encounter him. We take by means known as antique, and we have pre-ripped chunks of bread here in a bowl. In the cup, we ask you just to take one of those, dip it in the cup, and you can uh, partake of communion. If you have placed your faith in Christ, there's no need to have gone through a class or signed a document. You can just do that. We trust it between you and the Lord. So I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to enter back into worship. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for grace. And I thank you for the grace that saved me, but I also thank you for the grace that's sanctifying me. And I thank you for the grace that is working in me right now, even to serve you and to do your will. And I ask that for those here who uh, are disconnected from your grace in any of those ways, be it through a lack of understanding of the saving work that you are desiring to do in their hearts, or be it in the lack of an understanding of the, the sanctifying or the serving work, God, would you just speak to us? Would you show us? Would you change us, God, by your grace?